Now allow me to pray as we get started here. Father, I thank you for your word. It's a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my path. It's food. As Christ said, man lives not on bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. Thank you for feeding and sustaining your people, Lord, through your words. For feeding and sustaining us and supplying our spiritual needs and our physical needs through your word, Lord. Just as you did in the wilderness, Lord, as the people followed your instructions, you fed them. You cared for them. And as, uh, as the context of that verse shows us, Father, I pray that you would give us counsel and wisdom from your spirit, that your spirit would guide us in the way that we should go, instruct us in these times, in these days, in our country. Um, give your church wisdom. And that you give us wisdom, even as the men of Issachar, who knew the times to know what Israel ought to do, I pray that you would give us wisdom to know how to walk and navigate these times in a way that glorifies your name and exalts and honors you above all. I pray that you would cut our ties, our affections off of, from the world. That you would separate our uh, treasure, that it would not be in earthly things, but that it would be in heavenly things. That we would store treasure in heaven and that you would orient our affections away from from the fear and anxieties of this life to value what you value, knowing that you care for us. And so lead us and counsel us, I pray, and we submit to your spirit as we walk in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we've been in Psalm 37. I think I'm going to take it in, in three parts here. Um, Psalm 37 was, uh, as we were teaching through the Psalms, I saw it and thought, man, that it had a word for us today, in our day. And it begins, um, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Uh, and it says that a number of times, fret not because of evil, uh, or those who do evil, or the prospering of evil. Don't fret. And uh, the idea there was more than just worrying. It was this idea of being stirred up and angry. It was this. It was being uh, stirred up to. It, the word really means to kindle, uh, to be stirred up to wrath, uh, but in a wrong sense. But rather, we were to trust in the Lord, to dwell in the land, and to befriend or cultivate faithfulness, to delight in the Lord. To commit our way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. To be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. That might be hard in our day and our time. I, I look at our world and I want to do something. And not that we aren't to do, absolutely, we are to act. But here, in this heart attitude and posture, is to trust in the Lord and to wait upon him. And so we covered verses 1 through 11 last week, and, and there is a repeated phrase, um, inherit the land. Inherit the land. Verse 9, evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. And then in verse 11, the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. 
Now, that's the verse Jesus quotes in the New Testament when he says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Uh, actually, in the uh, Greek version of the Old Testament, it does say land and earth is the same word. Um, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the land. It's this picture that one day the wicked will be gone. And the earth uh, will be completely in possession of the people of God, um, the land. Uh, the righteous will remain when the wicked are gone. And so the, David lifts our eyes to look farther than just our present trials or present frustrations to see the ultimate end of the wicked and the ultimate end of the righteous. And that perspective steadies God's people. It comforts us in the midst of great trial. And there is a temptation sometimes to get frustrated or to, to pursue more, to feel like I don't have enough. I don't have enough money. I don't have the best job. I don't get what I want. I don't feel satisfied. I'm discontent. There's something in our hearts that sometimes can react that way. And then when you see the wicked seem to get what they want, they seem to prosper. That can be frustrating. It can lead us to fret. Um, and in this section here, God shows us that he upholds the righteous, but will cut off the wicked. God upholds the righteous. He's the strength of the righteous. He establishes the righteous. He provides for the righteous, but the wicked will be cut off. And really, this psalm, it's an acrostic, uh, meaning that it's, it's, you remember in school writing a poem where you had to start with each letter of the alphabet with the next sentence or the next word. Uh, same thing is happening here in the Hebrew, but it's actually in stanzas. And so if you look, you might, in your Bible, you might see two verses paired together and then a little spacing in the next pair. Uh, each of those stanzas begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so you kind of deal with it in those chunks. Each one's kind of topically touching on a chunk. And so I want to talk about five of those today in verses uh, 12 through 26. Uh, but to begin, I want to talk about the word inherit. Like the blessed, the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I, I found this as I've been combing back through the passage and digging a little bit more. The word inherit uh, in the Hebrew is the word yarash. And it, it can mean to just receive a land from a descendant or to receive something um, by, descend, by descent. But it, in the connotation in the Hebrew, there's another connotation that comes with the word. To occupy by driving out previous tenants and possessing in their place. To occupy. So sometimes the word inherit actually in the Old Testament refers to driving out or the conquest of Canaan. Uh, well, I didn't know that, you know. So that's kind of a violent inheritance. I'm going to inherit. And so it's really the removal of the wicked and the receiving by the righteous. Like, uh, and we have this picture in the Old Testament of that. The promised land. The inheritance of the Jewish people, right? It wasn't just a picture of receiving a land because the former... Uh, from your descendants who peacefully passed it on, it was the removal of the wicked and the receiving by the righteous. And is that not, when we look at the ultimate plan of things, 
Is that not what God does with us? We have an inheritance in the Lord Jesus. One day, the Lord is going to remove the wicked from the earth. And the earth will be the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The knowledge of the Lord will fill from sea to sea. And we will all know the Lord from the least to the greatest. And there will be peace. The lion will lay down with the lamb. Uh, the child will play at the head, the hole of a cobra. Uh, and there will be peace on the earth. But, and to give you one verse that shows that picture of that inheritance, of that two parts to the inheritance, is Exodus 34, 23. Um, forgive me, I'm going to flip a couple times today. But this was just my own study. This is just this is kind of how my brain works as I'm reading. I'll look up connections. Um, okay, verse 24, actually. For I will cast out nations before you and in larger borders. No one shall covet your land. And when you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times in the year. The word cast out is the word to inherit in that. Um, so... Geek me thinking, and you, you read in Psalm 37, it's not just that the meek inherit, it's that the wicked are cut off, they're removed. And so we see that God upholds the righteous, but will cut off the wicked. Um, and we'll begin in verse 12. The Lord sees the day of the wicked is coming. All right, we're going to have five points. This is the first. The Lord sees the day of the wicked is coming. Verse 12. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. So we see the evidence. Um, it's not as if the wicked are only wicked among themselves. They plot against the righteous, against those who trust in the Lord, gnashing his teeth at him. And here we have this picture that one reason why the righteous suffer is because of the wicked. Paul said all who want to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Why? Because the wicked are here. Because there is wickedness on the earth. And so because the wicked are present, there is suffering for the righteous. There is suffering because we belong to the Lord and they don't. They belong to the evil one. And they are under his power. They do his will. Every day, I read another story of Christians being killed in Nigeria. Um, slaughtered. It's, it is a genocide in Nigeria. It's one of the top, most dangerous places in the world, I think, for Christians. I, I'll read and 20 Christians are killed with a machete. Uh, Pastors shot and they burned the church. Um, often uh, people of Islam, Muslims, doing a jihad, a secret jihad against, I don't know why they called it a secret, um, or a undercover jihad against Christians. <coughs> the wicked plot against the righteous. And we suffer because of that. And we suffer with our brothers and sisters in that place. Is there a solution to our suffering, to our present suffering? There will be a day of reckoning, and there will be a judgment day for all the wicked. The Lord laughs at the wicked. Why? Because he sees that his day is coming. We look ahead to judgment day, and there is a day when God will repay the wicked for what they have done. Among whom were you and me, enemies of God, 
we were part of the wicked until the Lord had mercy and pulled us out of that kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son. And so we, you wonder, why does God not call that day today? Why doesn't God ultimately cut it all off? Because none of us would be saved. None of us would be saved. The Lord is not slow concerning his promises, but he desires that all repent. That all reach repent and reach repentance and that none would perish. And so the Lord is patient. And the day of the Lord seems long to us because the Lord waits. And Paul says that in Romans 2, the same thing. He said, uh, I'll read it. I'll read it. I'm not going to quote it well, so I'm going to read it. Um, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge that those who practice such things, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness is of God, God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? God is kind and patient so that we might be led to repentance. But because of your hardened and penitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. I don't know if you hear a lot of talk about judgment day these days in church. Um, it is a foundation, a foundation and a stone of that foundation in scripture is the day of judgment. And this psalm is full of it. Now, the Lord sees that his day is coming and laughs. Verse 14, the wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and the needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart and their bows shall be broken. Now, we sometimes see that in our day where the Lord disciplines in a moment and the one who digs a pit falls into it themselves. The one who lays a snare is caught in their own trap. The wicked bends his bow and sends with his sword and pierces his own heart. But really, we'll see this ultimately on that day, on the day of the Lord. When the wicked will be judged. And what they have done, the Lord will repay. Scripture says that God repays each one according to his deeds. And that's a fair, fearful statement in the New Testament. And so, yes, today, the wicked draw their bow. Their sword, they draw their sword against the poor, the needy, and the upright. Notice those three paired together. The poor, the needy, and the upright. But on that day... Their sword will enter their own heart, and their bow shall be broken. So the Lord sees the day of the wicked is coming. But the Lord also upholds the righteous and knows his days as well. The Lord upholds the righteous and knows his days. And so this is the next stanza here, verse 16. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the day of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In days of famine, they have abundance. This is interesting. 
First of all, you notice how it finishes. In the days of famine, in the evil times, they have abundance. But then in verse 16, it says, better is the little that the righteous have. Isn't that interesting? Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. The righteous have a reason to be content, even with the little that we have. Even with the little that we have, maybe you see prospering in a worldly sense. You, you got the self-help book, How to Become a Millionaire in Five Minutes. <laughs> Four-hour work week. That's a real book. Four-hour work week. I don't know if you know that. And you, you scratch your head and you see, how do these people do this? I don't have all of these things. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. Why? Well, he tells us in the next verse, 17, for, remember the word for explains something, right? For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. Maybe they have abundance now, but their arm will be broken. As Jesus said, you remember this verse when Jesus says, to him who has, more will be given. But to him who has not, even what he has will be taken away. What is he speaking about? Jesus is speaking about spiritual things, about the Lord. To the one who has the Lord, who has Christ, who has forgiveness of sins in Jesus and salvation, eternal life, it's not really little at all. But even the little that we have in this life is far greater than the physical prosperity that maybe even for a little time the wicked possess. As Jesus said, what good is it if you gain the world but forfeit yourself. Or what would a person give for in exchange for his soul? And so Jesus calls us to deny ourselves, take up our cross, follow him. You think about Moses, who lived in the prosperity of Egypt, chose to leave the treasures of Egypt to suffer with the people of God. For he had a great inheritance. How can we do this? Part of the reason, I, mean, I think I see two in these verses. Why can the righteous be content um, with little? It's because one, God provides for us. And two, we have a great inheritance. God provides for us here and now. But two, we have a great inheritance. Why do I say God provides for us? Um, look at verse 19. They are not to be put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, they have abundance. There's other verses like this. Uh, there's another psalm that says that God keeps his soul alive in famine. Even in hard times, in evil times, in food shortages, I think that we can trust that God will care for his people and that he'll provide for his people. Um, that we will have what we need. That we will have what we um, are and what we need for our day to glorify His name. Notice verse eighteen: The Lord knows the days of the blameless; their heritage will remain forever. All the abundance of the wicked will be cut off, but your heritage can't be taken away. Remember what Jesus said: Store up treasures. In heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal. 
That's where our inheritance is. That is where our heritage is. And that can't be taken away. And it's greater than the little temporal abundances of the wicked. Notice that... Um, Let's see here. Forgive me, I'm just getting organized in my notes. Because of this, we should not envy the wicked. When we have the long view in mind, we shouldn't envy the wicked when they seem to prosper because we know their day is coming. We can be content with what we have. We can know that the Lord knows our days and he knows the evil of our times. We look in history and many a Christian walked through an evil time. And it's no, no different for us. And I think the times in even America we're entering into are evil. Right now, I don't know why, but they are, drag queens are reading to children. Men, homosexual men, dress up as women and then read to little kids. That's terrible. That's evil. To cultivate and to win the hearts of children in the culture. It's an evil time. There was a Gallup poll that said that uh, the belief in God, I believe in the United States, is the lowest it has ever been since they started the poll. Since they had started that poll, belief in God has decreased in the short time they were doing that poll. We live in evil times, but the Lord doesn't forget us in those times. He knows our days. Notice, it says that he knows the day of the wicked. But then he says he knows the days of the blameless. That's kind of interesting. There's one day set aside for the wicked, but our days continue. Our days continue. And then again, uh, verse 20, the wicked will perish. Just kind of another summary. This is almost like Proverbs, the way that the psalm reads. But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. It is so temporal. You know, when uh, spring hit, the daisies hit like crazy. Uh, not, excuse me, not daisies, dandelions. Uh, you look out, you see dandelions, as far as the eye can see, peppering your lawn. And then they seed, and then they're gone. They're gone. Like within a day or two days, they go to seed, and then I haven't seen them since in my yard, praise the Lord. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Dandelions are good for your yard in some ways. Um, they disappear. Here, in this way, Jesus said, here today and tomorrow, gone in the fire. So will be the wicked. In our eyes, it seems like a long time. In the Lord, it's a moment. And I like actually how the King James puts verse 20. Somebody got a King James for me? Read verse 20 in it. So another translation, the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs. In this picture of this offering, this, they shall be like smoke being consumed um, in the King James. It's like a sacrifice where it will be totally devoted to destruction and burnt to a crisp um, to the Lord. I think we see, even see that picture in Revelation where the Antichrist and the, the false prophet and the... Uh, will burn before the Lord day and night. It's this picture of this devoted to destruction, of this total devotion to destruction. Now, 
interesting enough, in the next section, verse 21 and 22, uh, really, if I was to summarize it, it says, the wicked take, but the righteous give. The wicked take, because, but the righteous give. Listen to this. The wicked borrows, but does not pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed, oh, there's that word for again, explaining something. For the blessed, those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. So you think about the demise of the wicked. This is it for them. This is all they have. And so we see this picture of self-gratification. Take, 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 take. But rather the righteous is generous and gives. Why? Because they're blessed by the Lord and they have an inheritance. If you and I have an inheritance in the Lord that can't be taken away, we can be more generous with the things God gives us in this life. God provides for his people not merely to meet our needs, but also to bless others. To bless others. As Paul says, you will be enriched in every way that you may be a blessing in every way. And so the righteous are enabled to give. Knowing our inheritance in the Lord and knowing God's provision, we can be generous and give. We can give by faith. Um, a great picture of this is in Luke. Um, I do think it's important for us to be mindful that God provides and cares for his people because I think it enables and emboldens us to, be, to, to live by faith and to give generously, knowing that God's going to care for what I need. Um, let me give you an example. I'm going to read a passage from Luke uh, where Jesus talks about provision and then his exhortation to us, which is quite challenging. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... How much more will he clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. And so, really, Jesus speaks to physical provision but calls us to seek the kingdom, the kingdom of God, to set our hearts on the kingdom of God, on our heritage and our inheritance that God has for us. So now, say, having said that, listen to what he says. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. 
Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So the righteous, knowing our inheritance, knowing God's care and provision, is enabled to be generous and to give. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. That's a challenging word for us. And it speaks about in times of food shortages, the righteous are generous. They give. Do I want to be generous in a time when food prices are going up and gas prices are going up? I actually want to kind of conserve, and there's wisdom to conserving, right? There's a wisdom to saving. Um, and yet the righteous are also generous. They give. Why? Because they know their father. Who cares for them? They know his present provision, and they know his future heritage that he's giving them. And so they give by faith. In the words of um, Charles Spurgeon, he says, If God's providence is part of our inheritance, we need not worry about the price of wheat. If God's providence is part of our inheritance, we need not worry about the price of wheat. We need not fret or be afraid. And then later on, he even goes and explains in that paragraph in his comments on this psalm that even if we were to go without or to have need in some way, our joy in the Lord would remain, that the Lord would provide for our joy in him, even when we live without. Hmm. So we must set our hearts on the kingdom of God and be mindful of God's kingdom we may give and be generous. As it says, the righteous is generous and gives for those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. Again, that picture over and over again of the righteous remaining, but the wicked being cut off. And then it says that the Lord establishes the righteous. This is the last section. The steps that I want to talk to today, the steps of a man are established by the Lord. When he delights in his way, though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. And so this picture that when we trust and delight in the Lord, when we commit our way to him, the Lord will establish your steps. Uh, what does that mean, establish steps? The three things that come to my mind is you stand in a security that comes from God, and it's unmoved. But you're also led by God. God will lead you step by step as you trust in him. As I read the psalm, Actually, as I was reading this section today, even, I just sensed, uh, I sensed the Lord speaking to us even financially, um, how we handle finances, how we think about money. And uh, one thing I think he's saying is be generous and to give. Be ready to share. I felt, I felt like the Lord has said to work hard in, these, in this season, in these days, to not be afraid. For the Lord knows his people, even in evil times. 
He knows our days. will not be put to shame in Him. But we can live by faith, not in fear. The enemy wants to make us afraid. And I, I use this phrase, the enemy uses fear to steer. And you know, uh, a lot of corporate companies and people in high places know this principle as well. That you can steer people using fear. And fear sells. Fear sells. When you look at the media, fear sells. If it bleeds, it leads, they say. Not for the righteous. Jesus said, do not be afraid. Don't be worried. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Set your heart and your mind on the kingdom of God, on heavenly things. Um, the life, many, some of you may be familiar with George Mueller, a man that lived, I believe, in the 1800s. Um, he was a thief, and when he came to Christ, he began to preach in a small church of about 15 people. And uh, they had pew rentals, and that was kind of, you rented your pew, and that kind of provided for his ministry, and uh, he thought that that wasn't pleasing or glorifying to God, and so he removed the pew rental and put a box in the back of the church, and if anybody wanted to give, they could give. And he lived off of what people gave, out of free will offerings. Many times, he and his wife would gather at dinner time and have nothing to eat. Oh, by the way, he was full-time. He was a full-time minister that went without pay for like 40 years. And they would gather, and many times there wouldn't be any food on the table, but they would pray. He grabbed hold of one verse in Scripture and really took a hold of it. Um, the Scripture in Mark 11 that says, If you pray, believing, you've received what you've asked for. And so they would pray. And sure enough, food would come. Some a knock would come at the door and a widow would share part of her meal with them. Or money would come or a, an envelope of money would come in the mail. And so for all these years, George Mueller learned to live this way. Trusting in God and praying in faith for the Lord to provide. His faith grew to the point where he felt led to care for the orphans that were... Uh, I think it's in London area, in Britain, somewhere. Uh, actually, fun fact, how many of you know the author uh, Charles Dickens, Tale of Two Cities? He wrote a book called Oliver Twist, and it was actually illuminating the conditions of orphans in that part of the world. And so he brought to light the plight of these orphans. Well, Oliver Twist, um, so, so these same orphans, he was a contemporary of George Mueller. George Mueller had a heart for these orphans and felt led by God to create an orphanage. And it would cost something like, uh, I want to say $600,000 to build this orphanage. And again, he'd done what the Lord had taught him all those years. He prayed. He never asked for money from anyone. But money came. When he believed that he'd found what God wanted, he would pray. And the money came. And so he ended up, I think, building something like five orphanages. Over $7 million given to him throughout his life. And he didn't ask for a dime. He didn't ask for a penny. He asked of the Lord. He said many a day, they would begin the day and not have any money. And he would even provide and feed these orphans the same way he had lived himself. 
by praying and asking of God. And he said they never went without food. And the Lord provided. And there was a pastor that went to visit him uh, towards the end of his life, about 91 years old. And uh, you can read some of those conversations. Charles Dickens went and wrote, visited uh, George Mueller and wrote an article about what George Mueller was doing. So he wasn't, I don't think Charles Dickens was a believer. Uh, but I wanted to read just two excerpts of uh, George Mueller's conversation with this pastor. This pastor asked, has God been faithful to his promises in your life? And here's how George Mueller responds. Always. He has never failed me. For nearly 70 years, every need in connection with this work has been supplied. The orphans from the first until now have numbered 9,500, but they have never wanted a meal. Hundreds of times we've commenced the day without a penny, but our Heavenly Father has sent supplies the moment they were actually required. There was never a time when we had no wholesome meal. During all these years, I've been enabled to trust in the living God alone. In answer to prayer, 7,500,000 has been sent to me. We've needed as much as $200,000 in one year, and it has all come when needed. No man can ever say I asked him for a penny. We have no committees, no collectors, no voting, and no endowment. All have come in answer to believing prayer. God has many ways of moving the hearts of men all over the world to help us. While I am praying, he speaks to one and another on this continent and on that to send us help. Only the other evening while I was preaching, a gentleman wrote a check for a large amount and handed it to me when the service was over. And as the pastor spoke with George Mueller, he asked if there was any word to him of exhortation for his personal ministry. Um, and here was George Mueller's exhortation. Seek to depend entirely on God for everything, he answered. Put yourself and your work into his hands. When thinking of any new undertaking, ask, is this agreeable to the mind of God? Is it for his glory? If it is not for his glory, it is not for your good. And you must have nothing to do with it. Mind that. Having settled that a certain course is the glory of God, begin it in his name and continue in it to the end. Undertake it in prayer and faith and never give up. And do not regard iniquity in your heart. If you do, the Lord will not hear you. Keep that before you always. Then trust in God. Depend only on Him. Wait on Him. Believe on Him. Expect great things from Him. Faint not if the blessing tarries. And above all, rely on only on the merits of our adorable Lord and Savior, so that according to them and to nothing of your own, the prayers you offer and the work you do be accepted. Not in our merits do we pray, but in Christ's. We pray because Christ is righteous, because Jesus is faithful, we pray. And we have a model of the righteous in George Mueller, dwelling in the land, committing his work to the Lord, trusting in him and he will act, being still and waiting patiently for the Lord. Better is the little that the righteous have than the abundance of the wicked. The righteous is generous and gives for those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. 
And so you and I may trust in the Lord. And I know I'm doing a lot of scripture reading. Bear with me in one more as I read your inheritance, what we have in Christ. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God. And he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Father, we need your help to set our mind on things above and upon Christ, upon your kingdom, and to seek first the kingdom of God. You said, fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Steady the hearts of your people. Strengthen our trust in you, Lord Jesus. We wait upon you and are steadied by your hand in these days. Teach us to live by faith, to be generous, to give, to trust in the Lord, knowing that we will inherit. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.